1: Everybody, welcome to Outside Looking In, the series I'm doing that includes 29 episodes, 29 interviews, wherein we get an outsider's perspective on the Raptors so that after 29 episodes, we can kind of find consensus on how they are viewed the league over. And additionally, we get to sneak in some info about the other team that this person covers, that they talk about, that they're interested in. So you as fans, after listening to the series, can be some of the most well-rounded fans in the NBA. Today, of course, Yosef of Thunder Film Room. I think you can guess that we are talking about the Thunder then. This is somebody who has paid very close attention to the Oklahoma City Thunder, i.e. ending up paying very close attention to one of Canada's favorite players, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and uh, somebody who's just done tremendous work cataloging how the Thunder find success when they do, what's interesting about that team. And Yosef, how the hell are you doing, man? Doing great. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Um, it's, it's weird, you know, like you interact with someone like over Twitter for a year and then it's super cool. Like meeting them in a way, um, was a big fan, obviously of you and Evan's pod. Um, but I'm just excited to talk a lot of Shay. Um, excited to dive into the Raptors as well.
1: I man, I really appreciate that. I am so appreciative of all the X's and O's people, because this is the thing about the the basketball world currently for, for a consumer, you're in heaven because you can just take on so many, it's just, there's just so much content people put out there that's interesting, that's thoughtful, and your cataloging of the thunder has obviously been great. So, the first thing I want to talk about because at this point, many people have heard a lot of different interpretations of the Raptors. So, we're gonna start with Shay. Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander. We're not, I'm not going to do any of the Shea to Toronto stuff on this podcast. We'll, we table that the fan base does enough. <laughs> We're just going to celebrate his game. Um, to some people, the greatest driver of all time already, inventive, snake-like, water running down a mountain, all this different kind of stuff, um, endlessly inventive as a passer. Just the broad strokes on Shay before we kind of dive down into it, his future, how high you think that ceiling is. What are your thoughts on the Canada's best player? I think the reason I was so excited about this pod
0: was because I knew you were also super high on Shea. Um, and it feels like we've every time it seems like when he either gets hurt or sits out, we kind of forget just how good he really is. Um, and I think he's like the NBA's best kept secret almost from like the casual fan who just watches ESPN and isn't really on Twitter. Um, just the way he drives, as you said, I remember your piece you wrote a few months ago, it's snake like the way he like can contort his body and the way he moves. He's one of the most flexible players in the league. Um, and I really do think like, I don't know how future wise, how they plan on shaping it, but like, I think he can be a a superstar, um, 27 points per game kind of guy. Uh, he averaged, I think either 29 points something or hit 30 post all-star break. Um, it's The way he just comes every year and adds something new to his game, um, I think the thing, obviously, that hurts him is, yeah, he's playing here. We're not really winning, um, and that does affect him in terms of his perception amongst, like, fans who don't watch every game. Um, And I can't blame people for not watching those games. Um, But, like, as I'll say to those people, like, in his second year, he was the leading scorer for uh, fifth seed. Um, And obviously, and I think that guy was just half the player he is today.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. When we think about Shea alexander a lot of people think just, oh, yeah, out in Oklahoma City doing his thing. But what's really happening is that if you pay attention, this is one of the rarest players that has come into the league in the past of, of his generation. The best driver of all time stuff, if you want to get into the statistics, You can get into the statistics, the volume of drives, the amount of pressure he brings to the rim, how he scores out of them. It's basically unprecedented. But then if you want to get into the aesthetics of how he achieves that, he is impossibly quick on his first step, impossibly quick on his second step, and the strength in his legs to decelerate, change course. And the handle to support all those movements creates this fantastical player And on top of that, the shot-making is there. Now, it has kind of come and gone as far as his stuff off the dribble. Some of that three-point shooting that the year he should have been an all-star, Mike Conley was instead, that was wrong. We can all agree on that. But the year where that three-point shot, the pull-up stuff was really popping off, paired with all of the, the driving skills and all that kind of stuff, last year came back down to earth a little bit. I'm curious what you think about how... pull-up jump shot figures into his ceiling as that guy as you say could be around 27 30 points per game when we're looking at the the peak of his performances
0: I think it's there um I don't think it's uh, as you were talking I was trying to find the stat I had screenshotted before this because that 1920 season was or 2021 season it was one of like I know it was only 35 40 games he played but it was one of the best self creation stretches we've ever seen in, like statistically um whether like that's my biggest thing with him is like whenever we want to argue it like the statistics support those claims um I do think obviously it was a bit of an outlier he shot 41% from 3 um the the shooting was amazing this season i think the biggest reason for the dip was the level of degree of difficulty the shot variance um the shot perception you saw him trying new things which was kind of always like my slight gripe with him was like i wanted him to shoot some of those higher difficult shots i think these are like the years for development these are the years to try those type of things out and you saw that a lot this year um because i think we all can agree like shea isn't a 29 percent shooter from outside um He's more probably around 37, 38. And I think the biggest thing for the off the dribble for him um, is really the step back. Um, The way he attacks it in mid-range and he's able to use it because the defender is so scared of him just driving past them um that's the biggest thing for me and the way whenever he does go off the dribble and how you said his first and second step is so fast but those elongated strides he has whenever he's driving to the rim it i don't know why it's i've been on this for like a year and a half now it's almost mono esque for me just how long Mm. those strides are um and the way he's able to shift his body and so i think those are the two biggest things um the thing I kind of want to see more from him is to attack closeouts just because of how rarely we do see him, uh, playing off ball. And like when, now that he's playing with Josh, he's going to have to be off ball more. And we only saw that one game of them, like actually not playing like the, my turn, your turn basketball. And in that game, Shea was just, I mean, he was tilting the defense all night long. Um, and it was like, I think very much Josh can help make, his life easier in that sense to where Shea doesn't have to work so hard for these baskets. Because I mean, statistically, I know, I don't know last season, but 19 or 2021 season, I'm sorry. They had the worst spacing in the NBA, uh, according to B-Ball index, which is like, whenever you consider what Shea did in that season, it's remarkable.
1: What you bring up about taking advantages instead of creating them. This is something that is not intuitive for a lot of players. Uh, Steph Curry has made it infinitely cooler lebron james made it infinitely cooler both of those guys to be good off ball to be active and not to do everything from a standstill on your own creation but guys like shea guys like trey young these impossibly talented creators do need to once they start having dreams of playing championship level basketball have to extend advantages really punch through gaps and make quick decisions instead of letting the ball rest in their hands and then starting from zero again and Shea, definitely, that's something that he's going to have to, you know, comport himself to Oklahoma City as they, as they grow going forward. But I think that's that's really insightful that you bring that up. Um, the three-point shooting, 37 38%. I'm not sure where it's going to end up. I'm not sure if he's going to be one of like the Darius Garland or Tyrese Halliburton type younger guards whose step back is just a wonderful way to attack switches. Of course, he doesn't have the limitations they do as drivers he's you know the best driver in the nba but it's it's endlessly interesting to think about how he's going to develop i two years ago i was just raving about this guy evan as you said you liked bouncing around and and thank you for that but i remember evan and i debating about conley versus shea and (laughs) pd webb messaged me after watching the episode he's like um He's like, yeah, I like the, the Shea idea. Just was disappointed you weren't arguing for top five MVP instead of, you know, an all-star spot. I was like, okay, yeah, like you can definitely lean towards that self-creation stuff. I was working the game where he was in Toronto and watching him, to, and again, the spacing, not good. Mike Muscala hit a big three at the end, but watching him get into the paint, draw, you know, there's four, four sets of feet in the paint. Him go up in the air. And he had two nutmeg assists while in motion, while navigating. And I was just thinking like, I love watching players like Shay play the Raptors because it's such a hectic, crazy defense that it introduces new interpretations. Guys like we see creators all the time, play a certain style, play proactive, get to their spots, create the shots they want. And then the Raptors invert those principles and you get to see how the reactive playmaking is. And Shay was up here man he 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 didn't miss a beat so before we continue talking about the the thunder and all that kind of stuff the inventive interesting raptors i'm curious what you think of that team from the outside looking in
0: okay so i think first of all one of my favorite teams to watch um i think you have a ton of these jumbo creators is what they're aiming at um a team that very much i think did way better than everyone thought they would this past season um but also a team i think that's been having to battle a lot of injuries um and it's not made them inconsistent as a team as a whole but i think made them inconsistent individually as in it's next man up and then guys can't really catch a rhythm um i wrote it down here i know the 2020 season was or the no fan season was just injury riddled the year you guys got uh scotty but like pascal this past season only 68 games og 48 fred 65 like those are, just, and then the year prior, it's very similar, um, and that's kind of I think the biggest thing for them is it because if they can stay healthy, I mean, with the way Nick Nurse coaches, the super intense like psychopath kind of in a good way psychopath um who's having these guys play 40 minutes a game um that's a team that like i think is upper half of the eastern conference in terms of playoff picture uh this past year those guys were in uh fighting injuries and what was the fifth seed this year i think right fourth seed
1: um the raptors oh yeah uh, they were were the the fifth yeah fifth fifth
0: seed yeah um and just imagine say if OG plays 55 games even instead of 48. I know it's only seven games, but, like, those few games, they were only three games back from the fourth seed for home court advantage and then five games back for the one seed. Um, I think that's a team right there that, like, can play. I think the defense is the biggest, like, thing for me. I think that's how they win their basketball games. I'm a fan of the offense. I think it's free-flowing. I would just like to see some more, like, on-ball actions, I think, because I I think there is a bit of a – limitations just for now as in terms of guys who can self-create and I do think some like on-ball action would help Um, and then Scotty is just he's amazing I think he'll be fine long-term wise in terms of self-creation I think that jumped his development the past like three years I mean development's not linear but like you can't help but think like oh my goodness what's this guy going to look like in year two and year three or and then even in year five right when he's about to hit his prime
1: so anytime someone expresses a love or an interest for Scotty, it behooves me because fans love to hear about this kind of stuff. Is what what is your vision of Scotty in the future? What what does that player look like to you?
0: I think borderline superstar, um, top 15 guy in the NBA. Uh, I think the biggest things for him, I he just all of his question marks in terms of shooting, uh reactive passing I think is the biggest biggest thing for me with him or more in terms of like connector type of passing um those type of things because I was really high on that coming in and then we didn't see it a ton this year but then we also saw a lot of things that we weren't expecting um but I do think like I think the shooting will has a good chance of being average just because like I hate to like fall into the narratives of like, oh, he's a really hard worker and stuff like that. Cause I think all of these guys are really hard workers, but I think like there are maybe levels to it. And I do think Scotty's in that upper tier level of it where like I definitely would bet on him just succeeding in terms of those question marks. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is his, this may be a weird one, but I've always been fascinated with it is like playmaking out of the post. Um, yep. This year you saw him a lot take advantage of playing in the post because they weren't doubling him. He's so good at being able to tell like where the guy, defender is on his back. Um, I don't know if there's an exact term for that, but he's like so good at it. Um, and so I'm interested just to see how whenever he does get doubled or he can not score, how he is able to hit a cutter. He is able to find someone across the court, stuff like that.
1: So the term for knowing where the other guys is, is now a meme on NBA proprioception, right? Where things are relative okay, in yeah. space to you and uh it's kind of it's one of those nerd terms it's a good term it makes sense for what you're saying but uh nba twitter doesn't like it currently maybe maybe in a couple years it'll come into the the lexicon but let's let's change lanes you talked about giddy moving shay off ball and i'm really curious because i've had conversations with people who think shay becomes the off ball guy and to me that, that makes me furrow my brow. Honestly, like that, that, that's revolting to me, the idea of moving Shea off ball a lot. Now, Shea has to be off ball sometimes. You can't just run a guy into the ground. But I'm curious what you think of that dynamic. We don't really have a precedent set for somebody having two players like Shea and like Giddy and how they you know, formatted that pairing to success. But I'm curious if you have an idea of how you'd like to see that shake out.
0: So this is one I've struggled with and kind of flip-flopped throughout the season. Um, I was high on Josh coming in, uh, had him top eight-ish on my big board, but I also never thought he'd be this big of an on-ball guy. I very much, like, I thought he was the ultimate connecting prospect. I didn't think this would even be a question mark, and then two months into the season, and then you saw how he did without Shea that month of February. Um, I think the biggest thing is that maybe, like, 60% Shay has it, 40% Josh. I think that's one thing a lot of people have been freaking out about is, like, that oh Shay's just going to be this complete off-ball player. No, we just want Josh, this twenty-eight percent three-point shooter, to be completely off-ball. Um, and I, there was back in February, they asked Shay about it, and Shay was like, "Oh, it's not my plan A." And everyone, you know, everyone lost their minds. Um, and that was like, "Oh, this is going to be a long night." <laughs> um, and so, I do think it's one of those things that, like, this is such a big year for them where they are going to have to learn how to play with each other like that. Um, I think it come kind of comes back to like the broad view of like, OKC's like Sam Presti's philosophy on how he wants this team to play, where it's these five high field basketball players who can dribble the basketball, who are reactive passers, proactive passers, um, five guys who can attack closeouts and do all these different things. Um, I do think in the end, Especially based off Shay's second half performance this year. I remember I told a buddy, I was like, I think this is when Shay like officially makes himself like untouchable to the front office to where it's like, Oh, this guy's a superstar. And I think the way he played, I do think Shay will be like the majority guy who has the ball in his hands. Um, even the one game where they said like they tried implementing them to where they played like real basketball on offense was the first game after All-Star Break. And like you could tell they tried doing things. Um, I think Josh did have more touches than Shea, but it did feel like Shea still had the ball in his hands he still very much got his isolation self-creation possessions that he wanted um but i do it's it's a valid question mark and i do think that down the road it's gonna have to work like josh's swing skill on offense will be how to shoot um but i do think one thing people don't talk enough about like josh was a really good cutter this year um he was i think for a rookie i think he was the second best rookie cutter behind franz who was just amazing yeah um i think he was in like the 40th or like top 40th percentile, which I mean, that's upper half of the league, but for a rookie, I'll take it. Um, his chord mapping abilities were there, stuff like that. We didn't see it a ton from Shay. Um, and I, I wonder if what Shea a lot of it is on purpose where we didn't see a lot of off ball actions ran for him or anything like that. Um, and it it raised my question marks a little in terms of like, is that on purpose or what? You don't see him as much of a, you see him as a proactive cutter at times, whether it's to get a defender out of the way, stuff like that. He's not a big reactive cutter. Um, But I do think some of that stuff is kind of overblown just because it, it flirts, I think with the narrative thing of like, Oh, this guy labeling someone bad, whenever it's like he carries this huge offensive load and then asking him to like, all right, I want you to be super active on offense, on off ball offense too, and on defense. Mm-hmm. Like that's why one of my biggest things with Shea is like he has all the tools. And I mean, even in the Canada games this summer, we've seen like he was an active defender. And like I'm not going to lose my mind and be like he's a bad defender because he's not very engaged when the team's winning 25 games a year.
1: There's a there's a future I think that you could look at where you watch how slinky Shea is um, long and very very like his athleticism has immense utility there, there's some athleticism that is like DeMar DeRozan is somebody who Raptors fans will remember keep kept getting this massive tagline as this athletic monster but really uh, the athleticism that DeMar had was he was a really good one foot leaper but he had a really really slow shuttle time he had a really slow first step he couldn't break into the defense by like just beating a guy with quickness Shea has all the utility as far as athleticism. Imagine at the point of attack, a guy who can slink around screens is super long and is bursty from any position he occupies. There's, there's tons of stuff there. I also love that you brought up the difference between touches and usage. Giving a guy a lot of touches, and Raptors fans will understand this through the lens of Scotty versus Pascal maybe, is kind of like touch time, something that you can look up on nbastats.com. But giving a guy a lot of touches means that maybe you're giving him a lot of reads rather than a lot of responsibility to create. And so giving a guy like Giddy, who's a really great passer, sees the floor really well and has height, those touches, those could be in a lot of the intermediate set actions where it's running through his hands and he's making quick decisions in case you have like quick hitters and stuff like that, which I think is a great way to um, occupy defenses and especially use him instead of relying on you know teams kind of segging off of him as far as being you know, not a great shooter at this point in his career. It's a good way to make sure that teams have to pay attention to him is just load him up with touches. We see, obviously, Miami does this with BAM. Uh, is a really great thing. So Chet is injured. That was the worst thing to see. The Thunder have been um, tanking, for sure. They do draw the ire of fans league-wide and some people who have a vested interest in Shay's development as well but when we look at the thunder i've seen you post about this before how there's like a misconception on what they're doing i know you feel strongly about this so the ire that is thrown people are upset with the thunder they're ruining careers they're they're not letting shay develop they're keeping him down they're they're resting him when he's healthy like all this kind of stuff imagine i throw the kitchen sink at you i'm curious what is your defense and show us the light on the the path that the thunder are walking.
0: Um, first of all, I think like we all know what's going on in Oklahoma City. Um, Sam Presti <laughs> said it himself. Uh, Sam Pre- Sam Presti said it himself at the end of the season, like press conference. He was like, everyone knows what's going on here. Um, but I do think it's taken over this. It, in in terms of like the backlash, I do think it comes with like you've kind of made yourself, even if you're not like doing it the worst in the league, you've kind of made yourself the poster boy for it, um, mm-hmm. and that that just comes along with it. Um, but like, I will say just the simple stuff is like, I mean, for second year in a row now they there, they don't have the worst record in the league. Um, they were past two years. They're actually the fourth worst. Like there are three teams who are actively worse than them. Um, and then I think I had some quotes written down, but this one is my favorite all-time quote from Asayu Um, It was after last year. It was in the press conference. And he said, I tweeted this immediately and I, I got some hate from Raptor fans. Um, but <laughs> I was like, he said, this is all about winning championships again. Let me tell you guys some." Something guys, everybody has forgotten what has happened here two years ago. Okay. Yes, we won. Nobody cares anymore. We want to win another one. That's what we want to do. You want to prepare yourself to win another one, not to play in the playing game, not to play in the playoffs. You want to win a championship. Everybody's like, why won't you get in the playing? playing for want. We want to win a championship here. Um, and I think that's always my biggest thing. Um, you know, and I know you you kind of get into like groggy water whenever you say okay well then what in every year there's what only like five six teams that leg- have legitimate chances to win a championship then what does everyone else want to do but you want to put yourselves in that position um, and like yes Oklahoma City could trade their picks right now and but in reality you're probably making yourself a middle tier team um, probably not much better than Utah's been the past few years and people for years have been saying Utah should break it up and so it's like one of those like you can't win. Uh, type of things. It's a lose, lose situation. Um, I, I, I just quite frankly, like don't fully buy into the, they purposely like faking injuries thing. Um, I do like, yes, this year they agreed him. Shea and Oklahoma city agreed like the last eight games to just sit him out. Um, but he legitimately rolled his ankle pretty disgustingly in February. Um, the plantar fasciitis, like he missed Canada basketball that summer. Um, Darius Baisley, in February of last year, they told us it was a uh, Bruce shoulder. He ended up breaking like some bone in his shoulder. Like they weren't very honest about it. Lou Dort, um, all those type of things. Like I, I understand it. I, I just think it's very much become a, a narrative thing instead of a true real thing. But I, I also say, and I tweeted this after the draft lottery, your teams are incentivized to lose. And like, it works. Like it, it works. Um, they got the number two pick. And like whenever you're a small market where everything is everything is tilted against you, you have to make the odds somehow kind of closer to the middle. Um, so I in the end of the day, I don't think they're really harming anyone's uh development. I do think they're more harming people's development in terms of getting so many prospects. I think more than anything, that's more of a harm than the actual tanking that's going excuse me, going on. Um But yeah, like this one, I was very excited to talk about just because I do think, like, it's not as anytime an injury does happen. Like, even when Josh Giddy got hurt, um, that people were like, oh, they're tanking. A rookie does not impact winning that much. Like, there are exceptions to the rule, of course, but usually they don't. Um, There was even some with Chet, and I was like, I promise you, Sam Presti is not happy about his rookie, Mm -hmm. his number two pick, missing the whole season. Um, Like, that was a doomsday scenario. So, like, I do think there is, like, it, it sucks because this is the thing. Like, this is what, like, I hate after winning a game late in uh, April whenever I'm like, oh, we just dropped a thing. Like, that should – I should be happy that these, like, 18, 19-year-old guys just went out and won a basketball game, like, whenever we beat Phoenix. Like, that was a big win for a lot of those, like, G League guys that we signed. But, like, it, this is, like, how the NBA, NBA incentivizes it, which sucks. But, like, that's the system, right? Like, you ha- you have to play by the rules – these are like the these are businesses at the end of the day. These teams want to be good. Um, and quite frankly, my biggest fear is Oklahoma City one day in my lifetime relocating. Um, so whatever they can do to have a decent basketball team out there eventually is like my biggest thing. Um, and like the biggest thing is Sam Presti has said it. He sent he wrote a big, long, Op-ed in the newspaper right after the Paul George and Russell Westbrook trades And he pretty much told everyone what's coming like what's going to happen what they're doing And the biggest thing is like for sustained success like yes, we didn't win a championship last time But I mean, Oklahoma City year in and year out was one of the best teams in the league And you got to see world-class talents in a state that has no professional sports Um, I think like that stuff like that. I think truly matters and so I think that's like the biggest thing for me is sustained success. Like I don't want to sit there and be good for three, four years. And then you have to blow it up because eventually like you, you Shay knows like the plan according to Sam and Shay and them. But like, I think a guy like Shay is like, okay, Hey, three years, will be bad. But then like the goal is to contend. We're going to push in the chips eventually, blah, blah, blah. Or we can push in some chips right now. But we're six, seven seed every year, and then like that's how guys become disgruntled, you know. Like look at Utah; they have Donovan Mitchell, who's only a year older than Shea, and they had to move him. Like that's the last thing I want to do right now. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me for tanking is like, yes, there are some teams that are like Toronto. You guys never had to tank these past few years, other than last uh, the twenty twenty one season. Like Fred broke through, Pascal broke through. Like that's that's just you have to have. Skill in terms of your GM and your assistant GM doing the right things, but also have some luck break your way. And like Oklahoma City got some luck with like Lou Dort, but like you have to, there's a lot of things that fall into place to have a good team year in and year out. And like these are, this is just one of the biggest ways to optimize that. Not everyone can be LA where they don't make the playoffs for a decade or however long it was. And then Mm -hmm. the greatest player in the world just walks through their doors.
1: That's uh, a minute basketball that Lewis and I did was too big to fail, and I got to compare the the 2008, you know, housing banking crisis with uh, the Lakers. Is like, you know, you can't you can't fail when that can come your way, and you know, uh, Toronto doesn't hasn't had that benefit yet. As far as being a market where players come out of and want to return to, we haven't seen that. Corey Joseph is not moving the needle. My apologies, Corey <laughs> Joseph, but is and and Oklahoma City is the the exact same thing. Like uh, is Blake one of at least in however many recent years is he maybe the most, I guess, famous guy who had ties there. And then you know like even he didn't have. I don't remember seeing anything that was like oh yeah he's gonna come back or like Trey with like the Sooners or whatever, anything like that. I haven't seen anything of, of that sort. The thing I do want to ask you though, is you brought up a really great point. There's a huge conversation that probably we can't really have, which is, you know, there, there has to be thesis papers written on it is like, what does winning year over year do for development? We can't really have that, but we can have the conversation that you were kind of just hovering around is stockpiling guys and then guys lose minutes guys don't have an avenue to playing time and we know you have to play to get better like we know that much at least so whether it's like maladone trey man roby Basley, whatever are there guys you're worried about on the roster being disaffected by this stockpiling of talent
0: yeah um guy you named uh teo maladone um still a guy that i'm pretty i don't want to say high on but i still think he's an nba player um i think they've done a good job where they've Oklahoma City's done a really good job, actually, of just optimizing their G League team. Um, there's guys playing in the G League on the blue every night from the Thunder. Um, I think the biggest thing, especially we saw this year with Teo, was he went to the G League, and this year he was just too good for the G League. I mean, he was putting up 27 a game and was getting to the line. True shooting was like uh, out, out of this world. Um, and then, But he gets then he gets to the NBA, and his minutes are limited. They do reward him for some, and especially Tao, someone like Teo who – Um, PD said it perfectly. He has Academy brain where like, he just doesn't take risks. He wants to do the right thing every play. And slowly you see, okay, yep. His minutes are cutting down, cutting down, cutting down to where it's just gone. Um, And so I think that's like him Vit Krejci, those guards, especially at the end of the rotation, um, like I, I think at this point they're probably both getting cut, which really sucks. Um, and I think that's the worst part about this type of reboot is like every year they're going to have a revolving door of just prospects coming in and coming out. Um, and I think they are going to find different ways of being able to, at their be- the best of their abilities, maximize those guys' development. But in reality, I don't think we're even getting close to maximizing it. Um, but it's also, it's tough. Like a guy like Teo, he led the whole team in minutes, um, during the twenty nineteen twenty twenty one 2021 season. Sorry. Um, and then this year greatly underperformed, uh, the first two months of the season was shooting like 10% from three, uh, corn and Mark Dagnold, He just got too jacked over the off season. Um, and so he went down, he got his minutes cut, went to the G league and the G league goes like, he was aggressive. You're like, Oh wow. You saw some athleticism that he wasn't really showing, uh, in the NBA came back, had some good games, but then it went right back to the same old thing. Um, and I think that's where it gets tough because obviously like someone like Tayo Maladon, he's a really good, he has the ball in his hands. He can kind of pass. Well, create for others, really smart player, but you have Josh Gideon Shea on the court. Why are you, why would Tayo mm-hmm. take those reps from them? And so that's where you get into these like very thin ice and it gets difficult. Um, and so, like, the, I think this year is probably the last year where, like, you see an influx of prospects. They only have one pick next year. Um, and after that, you may see some more picks move, stuff like that. But it, it's it's hard. Um, I know they got a lot of backlash this past draft because they drafted Usman Jang and Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, two guys who have on-ball chops, and a lot of people were upset about that. And I do think, like, we have to be able to differentiate a guy's role before they come into the league and then when they are in the league. Um, cause I think a guy like Usman would be a great, like connector three and D type of guy. And then Jalen Williams, I mean, every off ball metric supported him being a good pick as an off ball guy. And we saw a lot of that in the, in summer league. Um, so it, it's one of those things I think that comes back to their philosophy of like wanting to get guys who like can dribble pass, do all the right things. Sam Presti has like long admired the way the Spurs do things. And I do think like he always kind of wanted that, but then like you had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So like you can't, you know, it, it, there's exceptions to the rule. Um, and so I think that's just coming back to that. It's just, it kind of just sucks, especially because like, I, I get a lot of flack on my Twitter. Cause I'm like very pro player, like in terms of like these right. guys' developments and also the just, proper like,
1: stance by the way. Yeah. Like the way I see it is like, these guys should be in
0: college, you know, like, Poku or like Teo like these those two guys moved across the world in the middle of a pandemic no one here who speaks their language no one they know they're by themselves without their families like that's tough like that's very tough and then you expect them to go out and perform super well in the court and then get mad when they don't it's just like it's 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 very thin ice with that type of stuff to me and so it's difficult um and I do think it sucks like I do think there is some like outcry like there's a lot of people upset about Isaiah Roby. Isaiah roby awesome guy. I think he's an NBA player, but like that's not a guy that like when a roster crunch comes along, um I think the outcry was very similar to when Jve got cut from the Raptors. Like I was a bit caught off guard by like a lot of the people that were upset about Jve Mikhail getting cut. Like that's a good he's a good guy. He's an NBA player, but like it's not a guy that like there's a reason those guys get cut. You couldn't trade them. So you had to make roster crunch type of moves. And I think that's just a prime example of that type of stuff.
1: So you talked at the front end of the podcast about loving the Raptors and kind of their play style and everything like that. I don't think that the Thunder, of course they have Shea and Shea is a, you know, a play style unto himself. He's going to create looks for people, but I don't think that the Thunder have curated a very strong culture Or a very strong play style. I'm curious when you look at, let's assume, maybe not for this year. You you can focus in on this year. You can do more macro and out into the future. But when you consider guys like Chet, Giddy, Shea, whoever else you want to incorporate into that. What what type of play style do you want to see from them? And since we've talked more so about, I guess the uh, the offensive side with Shea and Giddy, maybe this can be more Chet centric and defensively. What do you want to see this team do?
0: Defensively, I think just exactly what they did last year um, before everyone got shut down. They were a top 10 team in defensive rating the way they were able. I think that's the biggest thing with Mark Dignall as well is like, he's very much preaching defense. Um, Trey man, who is one of the most fun guys on the team, like even though the shot may not fall when he gets the ball, like he just kind of makes you giggle whenever he just does stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause it's absurd. Um, I think the biggest thing with Chad was like, that was so encouraging was, okay, you have your defensive engine, you have your rim protector, in year two of the rebuild and then for him to go down it kind of now you get kind of frustrated you don't really know what you want from them um especially on offense because I think OKC for years has they love delay action I mean they love it they love having a big up there you saw with Steven Adams for years um saw with Nick Collison on like backdoor passes um and they love quick pistol actions I think that's the biggest thing with me and Mark Dagnold is like the past few years, Oklahoma City has very much lacked self creation, other than from Shea. Um, and then this past year, from Trey. And he's done a really good job at like putting guys in advantageous positions. Um, you see a lot of just a simple Iverson cut, and it gets the defender on the back hip of Teo Maladone on some plays. Um, they love having Josh come off uh, pistol action on Miami. And uh, they ran Miami or no, they were in Chicago in two game-winning plays uh, against L.A. and Golden State, I'm pretty sure. Um, and those type of position plays where like, you can get the guy running downhill, have the defender on his hip, and that's when like Josh is the most dangerous because he does struggle, obviously. He's so stiff, which is hilarious because he's like the complete opposite of Shea in terms of body movement. He's just the most stiffest guy in the league and then you have the most flexible guy in the league. Um, and I do think like they want this free flowing type of offense. That's quick. A lot of actions on the wings in terms of like pistol and Chicago. Um, there's, I do want to see some more like Spain pick and roll with Shea. There's been a few plays where he's set the back pick, but I want to see him pop out and like actually get the ball. Um, But in terms of just like their play style, I just think this free flowing offense of guys who are like, I've said it a few times, like high field guys, um, just some other connector pieces, like, Jalen Williams from Santa Clara is like the guy I'm most excited about. Um, Just an unreal uh, wingspan, like a guy I think they're going to try to play like some small ball at small ball four. Um, And then defensively, I think a team that just lengthwise is there. uh, It's kind of difficult right now with Josh because of he's not the best defender. They had to put him on the weak side a lot this season and hide him. Um, but I do think he was a good help defender and I think once you see Shea kind of get involved it's really going to get interesting. Um, Darius Baisley is one of the interesting ones because I think there were very much stretches in the season last year where he was the best defender on the team. Um, I think he, I think at the end of the day he's just a long-term role player so who knows if he's here when they're like fully contending um, but I, it's, it's intriguing and then Lou Dort obviously I think that's a he, he's he got that dog in him um i hate i hate saying it i hate saying it because it's like the most basic level of like but just a guy who really does like he, kobe talked about in one of his detail videos about like guys who are like able to get so low when going around screens because of their center of gravity where they're able to cause these offensive fouls and like that's exactly how it would lose it. he gets himself like in between the ball handler and the screener and the amount of times where they uh, they get a offensive foul call in it is ridiculous. Um, he I think he's had like he has like forty I think last season or something like that. Someone I forgot who someone on Twitter tracks them every time it happens. Uh, but overall, I think a team that's able to just whoever gets the board run out, um, play free flowing, and just stop with like the stagnant basketball that was very much a problem. I think in the prior like types of Oklahoma city thunder basketball teams. Um, And I mean, I think that's going to be a problem until they're able to fully set in there. My biggest question mark with the team will be this year and has been is just self-creation. I don't think there's enough of guys who can actually dribble the basketball, put it down and go do something for themselves um, other than like Shay and Trey, But it's interesting to see how it works. Um, I I do think – I'm interested to see how Shea develops as like an interior passer. Um, There's a stat someone sent to one of our group chats. It was like Shea passed the ball 388 times when he got into the paint. Only 34 of them were interior passes. Um, And I think that's like his biggest improvement as a guy in terms of pick and roll or just any type of passing, which I mean we saw some really good pick and roll passes from him this summer in Team Canada, which is like – it's I know it's just FIBA in the grand scheme of things. It probably doesn't matter a ton, but it's, it's, it's very exciting to see a guy even attempt those when you didn't see him attempt that a ton the past two seasons.
1: So a few things after all you said a couple. So yes, um, Josh Giddy, when he drives, it looks like a whirling dervish of knees and elbows. It is. It's grimy, dude. It's crazy. Uh, secondly, Baisley, I'm waiting for a swing skill. Uh, He's very, his movement is very clearly quite special for his size. And if the passing really pops off or if the shooting gets to a place, even in the corner where he can generate, you know, closeouts, because when he puts that ball down and he's headed towards the rim, it's, it's quite special. His footwork is really great. He's very explosive. And, and lastly, Shea the interior passing, that is where that Raptors game I found to be quite uh in informative because it was really great interior passing because the Raptors are the one team that will open up gaps on the interior and will be swarming the outside you know it doesn't happen very often and I am wondering as you say the spacing is terrible where are the obvious reads for Shea to to pass out then if the if it's cramped I'm once he I have dreams for Shea man to play in a spaced out offense I have dreams so I'm curious to see how much of that is development on his end and then where the opportunity to uh, play in a more spaced out uh, a system affords him those, I guess, uh, reads as well.
0: No. Yeah. Um, I think one thing with Shays interior passing as well is he hasn't really given the best bigs other than from the Al Horford year. Um it's, I can't get mad at the guy for uh, not passing it to Derek Favors, who looks like a shell of himself. Um, yeah. Hopefully Derek doesn't see this. He blocks people on Twitter. I <laughs> apologize. <laughs> but And that's what I think was so exciting about this season was like, oh, wow, we're going to be able to have Chet on the outside. Um, I know Lou Dort's numbers are still like flirting with, if you look at the numbers, you don't think he's a good shooter. I do think a lot of that has to do with like his shot selection degree of difficulty. I think once they like reel him back in into like a set role, I think the shooting numbers will go up. And so like, I was actually very excited. I was like, wow, I can only like imagine what he's going to do this year in terms of spacing and going to the rim. Um, and so I think that's like the saddest part for me was like the, the develop. Chet would have helped Josh and Shay so much with their development mm-hmm. in terms of just pick and roll, pick and pop, stuff like that. And it also would have made it a lot easier for Josh and Shay in terms of playing together. I think they would have, it would have been a lot more seamless of a fit. And now it's, it, it still is a difficult fit, but like they've, they've gotten to know each other for a year. They just haven't like played real, uh, structured basketball together it was very much your turn my turn and they they admitted that as well um so i think that's like the biggest thing for me and just how like i would love i would do anything There was like two possessions all year where like Shea had this drive and then josh cut like made a 45 degree cut and like Shea just a little bounce pass pocket past him and josh finished and i was like oh i just give me please two in two years just please i i would die a happy man
1: I do. Yeah, th- there's lots of potential probably for if you want to stagger them on the same side of the floor, there's like Wade cuts that can be made. And it does depend somewhat on on Giddy and Shea, both of them finding a consistent three point shot. You know, catch and shoot is the the baseline pull up allows them to do stuff with their own offense. But as far as how they work together, Especially not having chat as a connector piece between all that stuff is is a tough um, loss. But before we get out of here, be it Raptors, be it Thunder, is there anything you want to inform the viewer on?
0: Um, nothing really. Just I promise you, before they uh, first half of the season, just watch some Thunder games. It's very much. It's fun. I I enjoyed it. It's like the way I viewed it. It's very. uh, in terms of whenever you see tanking teams or losing teams, it's a bunch of, I think few young guys and then a ton of vets. And that's why they lose. Cause the vets have no interest, but there is a bit of like, you know, the feel good story of like the guys who shouldn't be like the, they shouldn't be in the NBA, you know, and they're like working their butt off and they're like diving for loose balls. And there, there's something to it that I very much enjoy. It's a, it's a very I remember the first time Thunder like were young, they called it Thunder U. And like now people are calling it like Thunder U 2.0. And like yeah. it is it's very much like a college esque team. Like it's fun. They have characters. It's it's an enjoyable viewing experience. And Shay is a superstar and he's going to be an all star this year. Um, I feel very confident about it you had two guys leave the conference. I think it's going to come down to probably like him and Ant at the end of the year. Um, And I do think like Shay, he deserved it two years ago. Um, And I think this year's his time. Uh, I think, the shooting will go back up. I do think the the points per game will go up as well. Um, it's I'm I'm just so excited for the season to start up. It's it is a bit frustrating in terms of Chet. Uh, it's just one of those like it is what it is scenarios. Or my profile picture or It's just I am sad. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, I'm I'm really excited also to watch just the progression from Toronto. Shout out Gary Trent Jr. I'm honestly maybe the most excited about him. Uh, wow. But yeah dude i don't know why uh unreal shooter and then i think the defense really uh the leap he made this year was like i was very caught off guard i still think there's some stuff in terms of point of attack that could improve but if we see even just a hint of like on ball stuff from him some improvement there i mean like that trade still like to this day i think was a I think that was, Toronto won. It was an amazing trade, uh, in my opinion. I know Norman Powell's a, a loved guy there in Toronto, but like that was. And then on the contract he's on, like for $16 million, Uh, yeah, big Gary Trent guy, big Gary Trent guy.
1: Mike Prada had a. Uh... He kind of wanted him to work on craft and manipulation like Chris Middleton. Mm -hmm. And despite not having the length or height that Chris Middleton does, I see a lot of wisdom in that because Raptors fans oftentimes comp Gary to explosive scoring guards when Gary achieves nothing through explosion, quite literally nothing through explosion, all craft, all shooting. And so, manipulation coming off screens, little curls, pin downs, all that kind of stuff. Um, He had a stretch last season. I wrote about where he averaged four assists per game. And it's basically because he was making good passing reads out of pin downs. And so um, I'm not, I'm probably lower on Gary than a large amount of people in Toronto. I I really enjoy you expressing like optimism because if Gary keeps growing, that's, it's just fantastic for the Raptors. So Yosef, thank you so much for coming on, man, and lending your voice to the, the thunder aspect and letting us know what you think about the Raptors.
0: No, dude, thank you for having me on. I had a blast.
1: And if I can recommend to listeners on the podcast channel, viewers on the YouTube channel, thunder film room, that's what it is on Twitter. It is a very easy way to just insert, um, basically all the things you'll want to know about the thunder into your sphere of media or whatever. And I think it's, it's a popular account for a reason because Yosef pays close attention to the team, both on the interesting macro stuff that fans always pay attention to, but more of the, in the weeds analysis stuff that analysts and, you know, nerds like us pay attention to. So uh, listener viewer, whatever it is, um, go check them out on Twitter and uh, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. There's way more of these to come. There's a lot of them and uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in and we'll see ya.